Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, I was just saying that uh, I was wondering how many of you would like to see Nicole Morris uh, show us her, her eating habits. Maybe we could do that sometime. But uh, no, that was great. Thanks, thanks everybody for that. Thanks, Alex. Um, so, I have a question. How do you feel about being called? You might say it depends on who's calling and what they want. That would be a good, <laughs> that would be a good way to respond to that, uh, that question probably. Uh, you know, uh, one of the sounds uh, I miss in our home is uh, the wor- these words here. Uh, have you ever heard these words? All right, everybody, wash up. Ah, I know what that means. That means we're going to have supper time. It's great sound. I remember when I was a kid, we uh, long before the days of cell phones, we um, grew up country, and uh, we would oftentimes when we were kids in the, this time of year, getting on towards summer, we'd head out the door in the morning, and we'd be gone for large parts of the day. And and I can I can uh, I can uh, remember my dad's voice when he would step out to the back corner of the backyard and put his hands like this and call for us uh, at the top of his voice. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was a beautiful sound. And today as we think about the, um, the call of Jesus, you know, uh, it's a beautiful sound to have somebody call, call your name. And uh, um, we're going to be thinking about that, to, that today. And, and uh, Asking God to speak through through His Word to us. Um, so I would just encourage you to uh, open your Bibles to, to Luke chapter uh, five. We're actually going to read first in Luke chapter six, um, and then uh, would you pray with me, Lord? We ask that you would speak to our hearts today through your Word, because we know that that's what you love to do. We pray that your Spirit would once again be uh, our teacher. And that we would have ears to hear, that our hearts would be open to things that you would have to say to us from your word. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you use your word uh, to do your work by your spirit, spirit in our lives. We just thank you and we pray that that would happen on this day for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week the uh, Gospel Project curriculum has us in uh, our three-year journey through the Bible uh, in uh, Luke chapter 5 and 6 and the calling of the first disciples who would become uh, his apostles. Um, we're going to look at three shorter passages and maybe spend a little bit more time in the second passage. But uh, first we want to turn to Luke chapter 6 where uh, we're given the list of, of names of those uh, first disciples who became apostles Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, he there being Jesus. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip, uh, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Uh, so sometimes this list uh, of men is simply referred to as the Twelve. And they became, as the text says, the apostles of Jesus. They were Jesus' first uh, disciples. But I want to back up a bit. Um, Context is always so important. Um, Over in chapter 4, immediately following the passage that we looked at two weeks ago, where Jesus is full of the Spirit, led of the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the next words there in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified 
by all. So uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, which follows that statement uh, in uh, uh, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, there Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. But these places uh, that we're looking at here, they're all in the uh, region of Galilee. And uh, Galilee is where the events that we're learning about today take place. Uh, it was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. We talked about uh, uh, three weeks ago, we talked some about Galilee, and uh, we were talking about Jesus coming from uh, Galilee to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And uh, uh, Jesus spent the first 30 years of his 33 years in Galilee and much of the last three years of his life in Galilee. He would have a Galilean accent. And one of the reasons that the Judeans or what John, those that John uh, in his gospel account, somebody called the Jews, tended to look down on Galileans is because of the way they spoke. Uh, they had a, a different dialect and their use of words sometimes. Were, uh, it'd be like having your cousins come from Toronto and making fun of you and calling you a hick because you talk funny. So it was kind of like that. Jesus is from Galilee. And, and uh, so after he's baptized by John, he heads home. And uh, he uh, spends a lot of time in Galilee. He chose his disciples mainly uh, in uh, the region of Galilee and from that area. We know, as I mentioned a few weeks back, that the only, the only disciple we know for sure that was from Judea was uh, Judas Iscariot. Uh, and we know that uh, even in today's reading, as we'll see, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew were all definitely Galileans, and we feel that probably uh, uh, Philip and, and others were as well. So the uh, vast majority of his disciples coming from that area. I, I find that uh, to be very, very interesting. Um, we had the privilege, I had the privilege of being in the uh, region of Galilee back in uh, 2008, and uh, the geography of Palestine is is kind of important when we study a little bit of geography uh, really helps us make sense of the biblical narrative and I'm going to try to uh, get you to have a look at a map with me today if we can if we can bring up a map of of Galilee uh, you'll see that uh, on the southern part you have Judea I'm colorblind but I can't tell if that's blue or aqua or what it is there but uh, Judea and then in the middle you have the region of Samaria and then up towards the north, you have the region of, of Galilee. And uh, so you can see there uh, quite a distance, about three days travel on foot between uh, the region of Galilee and the region of Judea. And so when we were there in 2008, we got to have uh, a fish dinner, a tilapia dinner uh, in uh, the area of Capernaum, which is the area that our story takes place today. And... Um, I, I want to show you just a few pictures to give you a feel for that, that region of that area. So we were able to actually sail on a small ship, that's it there, from the area on the uh, southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, which would have been in the, the, the land of the Gadarenes in Jesus' day. And we got on the boat there and we sailed uh, across the lake and we... Uh, uh, yeah, beautiful. Just, just, uh, just a really pretty, beautiful place. Uh, the region of Galilee with the n nice rolling hills and the beautiful lake water. And there we are, just coming in on the other side, and you can see the rolling hills there. Now, where we got off the ship was in the area of Capernaum, and I have a couple of pictures that, that I show you right now. This is taken would be towards the north from, uh, from the area where Capernaum uh, is, was, and is. Um, and you can see the, the northern end of the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, uh, also called the Lake of Gennesaret. And there you can see the southern area. So beautiful, beautiful. And you can almost picture, I can picture Jesus standing there teaching 
the people on the shores of the, of the lake. Uh, one more picture. This is the uh, reconstruction pro, uh, project of the synagogue in Capernaum. So uh, just to give you a little bit of a feel for, for that area. So uh, today uh, we are in that area of Capernaum and uh, Jesus <clears throat> is calling his uh, disciples. And I think it would be appropriate for you and for me to be asking that question, is Jesus calling me? I wonder if you might ask yourself that question today. Is Jesus calling me? As we read together Luke 5, and this will be uh, the second passage we'll look at today. Luke 5, 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets for, uh, down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is the, the passage we're going to focus on mostly today, although we are going to pick up a little bit later in chapter 5 and uh, take a look at the calling of Levi as well. So the Lake of Gennesaret, otherwise called the Sea of Galilee, um, crowds are gathering. Jesus is teaching. Uh, he has done a number of miracles by this point. Now, it doesn't say here what exactly the content of Jesus' teaching was at this particular time. Um, it just says that the people were hearing the word of God from him. In the coming months, we are going to be privileged to be spending quality time looking at the teachings of Jesus. But for today, just take note that, um, that we have, uh, well, Luke 4.33, uh, Luke 4.43, sorry, says, uh, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. So we do know that he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And he was teaching and he was doing miracles. Uh, and crowds were gathering. And so by this time, the crowds were such that Jesus uh, decided it would be helpful if he got into a boat. And so he got into Peter's boat, and he gets Peter to push him out from shore, and he sits in the boat, and he teaches the people uh, the word of God. That's uh, a beautiful picture. Then verse 4 says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out your net and let down your nets for a catch. Simon, uh, who is often called Simon Peter, Peter being his, uh, the name that, uh, that uh, uh, Jesus actually gave to him, um, he, uh, he had not had a good night. <laughs> you know, uh, some nights are like that. Some days are like that. But this was exceptionally bad. Think about it, you know. <laughs> These were career fishermen, and Peter was... Uh, was the captain of the of the ship and the, and the leader of the team, it seems. And uh, he says that they'd fished all night and they hadn't caught a single fish. And, then, and yet he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, Peter's a seasoned fisherman. Jesus is a carpenter. And you might wonder... Why a carpenter or a fisherman, sorry, would be so ready to listen to a, a, a carpenter? Uh, but this was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. I think this is important for us to realize. This um, last week we were in John chapter one, and the latter parts of John chapter one, uh, which was part of our reading for last week, there 
describes uh, previous encounters that these same these, uh, men had had with, uh, with Jesus. And then back earlier in chapter 4 of Luke, where we are uh, here in Luke chapter 5, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, right after the narrative of the temptation in the wilderness, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 30, described Jesus' um, uh, ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And this is followed in chapter 4, verses 31 to 37, with stories of Jesus teaching and healing in Capernaum. Capernaum was Peter's hometown. Now, the Gospels aren't written in a strict chronology, but when you study them together, we can put the pieces together, and I hope that you're doing that, because we need to be doing that. We need to be reading the four Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, together. Um, You know, this is not the first encounter that Peter and the others have with Jesus. And they say that the average person who comes to put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord hears the gospel in some significant way on average seven times before they, we, make that decision to respond and follow him in faith. So that's interesting, and, and when you think about it, it's a really a lot to process, isn't it? The biggest decision that you will ever make is the decision you make to respond to the call of Jesus Christ upon, upon your life. It says when they had done this, when they had cast the nets in, they enclosed in, in a large number of fish, their nets began to break, and they signaled to their partners Uh, in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both boats, and then those boats began to sink. Um, So they're witnessing all of this, but again, this is not their first encounter. It's not their first miracle either. Now, these miracles were very personal in in nature uh, for sure, but uh, John chapter 2 tells us that the first miracle Jesus did was in Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. And there have been many miracles since then. Even in Luke chapter 5, those uh, stories in Capernaum that just, just precede our, our text here in the first part of chapter uh, uh, 5 and then in chapter 4, uh, Jesus is healing sick people. He's casting demons out of people. And, and everyone was talking about it. Um, in, in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 37, it says that, that everybody was talking about these things. And this isn't the first personal miracle that these guys had seen either because in Capernaum, earlier on in that same scope of time, uh, Jesus had healed Peter's mom. His mom. So here Jesus is messing with his livelihood and his career, and but he had already healed his mom. You know, I I think Jesus really has Peter in his sights here, and he's really, really going after Peter. He wants Peter. He's he's calling Peter, and and uh, Peter's response to all of this is really significant. It says in verse 8, when Peter, uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Reminds me of Paul's words. He said, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance that Christ came into this world. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, this whole concept of sin is obviously a really important uh, part of the whole gospel story and the gospel message. We're going to try to pick up on it more this morning as we go on and we look at uh, how Jesus called uh, Levi. Um, But for now, just take note of this fact from this passage right here, that the clearer picture we get of Jesus, the clearer picture we get of ourselves. That's an important thing to understand. Um, We learned a few weeks back when we were in the wilderness account 
that Jesus is like us in every way except one. He, he became like us in every way except one. He never sinned. And uh, so it's that whole compare and contrast thing. And when Peter sees Jesus and he's starting to understand you know, the disciples, they had, were trying to wrap their minds around this whole idea of G the identity of Jesus and, and who he was and what that really means. What did it mean for him to be the Son of God? And as these things start to become clear in Peter's vision, and he sees not only is he coming to see Jesus for who he is, but he's seeing himself for who he is and seeing his sin and seeing his need. And that's really important for us. Um. There are two more statements here in this storyline that we need to consider uh, in verses 10 and verse 11. In verse uh, 10, Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Uh, in the old King James Version, it says, I will make you fishers of men. And note that it is plural. He's not just talking to Peter. Jesus is talking to them. And he calls here not only Peter, but his brother Andrew, and their fishing partners, James and John, as well. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus called them uh, the sons of thunder. That's not, you might think, wow, that's a cool nickname, you know, the sons of thunder. But they never chose that name for themselves. They didn't think, wow, that would be cool. Let's be the sons of thunder. That's what Jesus called them. And, um, and, and, and it's kind of like when Jesus met Peter, if you go back to uh, John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, it says there that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Simon, his... Uh, Hebrew or Semitic name, is given the name Cephas in Aramaic, which is Peter in Greek. Jesus gave him that name, and it means uh, rock or rocky. That was Peter's uh, name that Jesus gave him. And uh, so <laughs> these, are great, these are great things that we learn about these men and uh, that give us just little insights into their characters. And because and they were all different too, right? Just like you and I are all different. And, and, uh, and yet Jesus called them. And he called them to follow him. And, and it says in verse 11, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So, after the, what was undoubtedly the biggest success of their careers, the largest uh, catch of their careers, they walked away from it all. It's hard to miss the import of that, isn't it? And there's so much to be considered here in this, in this passage. A, a relationship with Jesus, following him, is not about him blessing our plans. Sometimes we fall into that line of thinking and it's not helpful. It's not about uh, him making us successful in our endeavors. It's not about those things. It is about us being sold out for his purposes. And that's really important because we don't want to spend our lives as they say, climbing the ladder of success only to realize that the ladders leaned against the wrong wall. Listen, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is not a decision about your career. It's not a career choice. It's not even a family choice. It's the decision you make when you hear Jesus calling you. The last scripture we want to look at this morning is Luke chapter 5, and we're bringing that in. It's in, the, it's in the Gospel Project outline, and we're bringing it in because it is the call of Levi, and it's in the same general context here. So we're going to take a quick look at that. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 and 28 says, After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, 
he rose and followed him. Now, remember, this is in Capernaum. And in Jesus' day, Capernaum was the northernmost town before leaving uh, that region. So when Herod the first, who was Herod the Great, that's the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was uh, a baby. When Herod died, um, the Roman emperor, Augustus, he uh, administered Herod's will. And he made, he divided up Herod's uh, kingdom, if you will. uh, And he gave Herod's son, Philip, made him tetrarch over the region which was to the east of the Sea of Galilee. So that would be up here on the map when you were looking at it. Um, He gave Philip uh, responsibility for that region, which was really just a former northeastern quarter of his father's kingdom. Uh, Today, that area would be northern Israel, Lebanon, and southern Syria. But that made Capernaum a border town. And uh, along with being a, a landing place for ships, it was also the, that border town, that northern part of that region, uh, meant that it was a great place for collecting taxes. Uh, it was adjacent to what uh, Edersheim calls the Great Road of Eastern Commerce, which led from Damascus to the harbors of the west. So if you could picture picture some of that. And so a great place to collect taxes. And so here we have Levi, who is a tax collector, sitting at his seat of customs, collecting taxes from merchants and, and travelers and businessmen and of different kinds, and of course from the local people too. Because taxes... Uh, they say the, the you know the, the taxes and death and taxes are the two certainties of life. Uh, that has not changed from the day of, of Jesus. Uh, they collected taxes on everybody from everything that they could think of, and uh, wasn't a popular job at all. We'll probably get a chance to talk a little bit more about these tax collectors as we make our way through the rest of the gospel accounts in future days. But. But for now, just take note of this, that the outline here is pretty much the same as it was in the last uh, uh, section we read, uh, Peter, James, uh, John, and Andrew, where Jesus comes and calls the Levi, and then Levi uh, leaves everything, and he follows Jesus. Basically the same outline, except uh, there's no miracle in this story with Levi, but You can look back and uh, see that just prior to this, uh, Luke records two very substantial uh, miracles, the healing of a leprous man and the healing of a lame man. And this is a town where everybody would have known everybody. Levi would have heard all the stories. He probably saw a lot of this with his own eyes. And so again, he's had encounters with Jesus. Uh, We are going to start next week an eight-week series on the miracles and mercies of Jesus. And that's an important part of all this storyline here. So Jesus comes and he um, calls Levi. Levi Levi leaves everything uh, and he follows him. But there's another difference with this story too. Same basic outline except... uh, we get in this story of Levi, we get to see what happened next in his life as a called one. And, and so that makes this story really, really special too. Um, reading verses 29 to 32. So Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others re- reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we get to see Levi responding to Jesus, and we get to see what uh, he does next. And uh, it says, basically, he threw a party. He threw a party, 
And he invited all his friends. And he invited Jesus to be the guest of honor. And Jesus came. And Matthew, in this story, we have Matthew using his home to follow, to follow Jesus. He's, he's fishing for men. Not by adding some evangelistic activity to his life, but by simply being intentional about the relational nature of life. He simply wants his friends to meet Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus is the most amazing person you will ever meet. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there, and, and again, I, I hope that as we make our way through the New Testament, we're going to have time to, to look a little bit at some of these different groups, uh, these different social circles, uh, political-type parties, fullest, uh, philosophies or views of life, uh, groups, um, fraternities. I don't even know what to call some of these different social uh, uh, elements within uh, the society of the day. But, you know, it's fascinating because it's, it's just like today. We have, uh, you can't put people into neat categories because it takes all kinds, right? Just like it does today, just like it did back then. But you have all these different groups of people and, and with all of their lines of thinking and their thoughts and their attitudes and their, their associations, including the tax collectors. They had their own associations. They kind of hung together. They, they kind of had the same life philosophy. And, and, uh, uh, and so it was kind of natural for uh, Levi to have a party and invite all his tax collector friends. And that included a lot of people who had very poor reputations in the community. And, of course, then you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were among some of the good living people. We'll get to talk more about them, I'm sure, as time goes on, because Jesus had a lot of dealings with these different groups. But they were, uh, they were uh, the, uh, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I guess is what it says there, right? And not all Pharisees were teachers of the law. Not all teachers of the law were Pharisees. Uh, and I hope you'll get to study that some. But it's... Uh, but it's interesting because they were, they were um, uh, some of the good living people. And uh, they also, you probably know, they also felt pretty good about their good living and tended to look down, uh, Scripture says they tended to look down at other people. And, um, you know, the hardest people that Jesus had in reaching were the people who felt that they were doing okay. They, they thought, you know what? When I look around and look at everybody else, I think I'm doing pretty good. I might not be perfect, but I am so much uh, far ahead of that group there or this group over here. And certainly those, those tax collectors, wow, like those 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 sinful people. And uh, uh, in three weeks' time, we're going to be at John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. Maybe we'll get to talk some then uh, about, uh, about Pharisees. Um, can we do that, Josh? Yeah, Josh is nodding. That's good. Three weeks' time, Nicodemus. But look at, uh, you know, uh, Peter's words back in earlier with a uh, passage we read. He said, I am a sinful man. Here in the, the account of uh, Jesus calling Levi, we have this really important section where Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, it's not the, the whole or the well who need a physician but those who are sick. I guess we could say that there are two main applications for the message this morning. One would be that if you have not come uh, to know the great physician, the healer of your souls, and ultimately your body too, then you have what is called a sickness, a sickness that is called sin. And you need to cry out with Peter 
I am a sinful man. You need to repent. You need to have a change of heart attitude towards yourself, your sin, and towards Jesus as your Savior. And when you do, you'll experience his life-saving mercy. He's the great physician. But the other application is for all of us who would say, well, I've done that. And I'm thankful to say that Jesus has saved me. He's healed my life. He's restored me. He's the most amazing person I've ever met. But make no mistake about it. Either way, either one of those applications, it's all about him and about what he does in, in our lives. Because whether we're talking about being accepted into God's family by the grace that is in Jesus Christ and, and accepting that call of Jesus into eternal life, having our sins forgiven and being restored to, to relationship with God, or whether we're talking about serving him or being sent by him, because remember, apostles were called and sent. Disciples are called and sent. You and I are both called and sent. And whether it's about our calling to him or our calling to go for him, in both cases, we need him to make us whole. We need him to make us fishers of men. He makes us. He restores us. He enables us. Matthew tells us the same story uh, about the disciples uh, uh, and fishing all night long and not being able to catch anything. And he says there, Matthew says there, that they were on the shore in the morning mending their nets. And you may not or may or may not be aware that that, same, that word in the Greek there for mending is the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says that, God, that he, Christ, gave some to be leaders in the church for the equipping of the saints. That word equipping is the same word mending. God is making us. He's making us whole. When he calls us to himself, then he equips us in him to then reach out to others. Because we all have the sickness of sin. We all have to be restored and made whole. And uh, so this, these occupations are like metaphors, right? Fishers, fishermen, carpenters, doctors. Um, and Luke, who wrote this, was a doctor. So these things are they're interesting. They're also very, very important. They're not just symbols. They're like parables of, uh, that teach us of the greater realities that exist in our lives. Over in Mark chapter 3, when uh, Mark gives the account of Jesus calling the 12th and assigning them as apostles, it says there that he called them to be with him and that he might send them out. The, we refer to that as the called, equipped, send paradigm. He calls us to himself, calls us into a relationship with himself. That relationship restores our souls. And it is in that restoration of our souls that he makes us and he mends us and he equips us to then to reach out to others. He sends us. Because to be called to Jesus is to be sent by Jesus. The only outreach we have, though, comes down to what Jesus does in our hearts and our lives as he enables us to be able to say to people, I want you to meet a friend of mine. Now, I said earlier that the story of Levi, Matthew Levi, doesn't include a miracle. But actually, it really does, doesn't it? It's the miracle that takes place in our hearts and in our lives when we respond to the call of Jesus of Nazareth. Is Jesus calling you to follow him? It might be the greatest of miracles, really, that there is because, you know, he... Physical healing is a great miracle. But the miracle of a changed heart, a changed life, a transformed life, 
is a miracle that really stands out in Scripture. Is Jesus calling you to follow him? What does it look like? Does it look just like these uh, stories that we've read today? No, not, not exactly. Even these two accounts, the accounts of the fisherman and the accounts of the tax collector, they're not the same either. There's a lot of differences between the two. And, and uh, I mentioned to you that uh, uh, Levi uh, becomes known as Matthew, and you may be aware that that's the Matthew who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. So he went on to do to great things. And I can assure you that you won't be writing any scripture as a called one. You won't be an apostle with the capital A, but you will be an apostle because you will be a sent one when you respond to that call. It's important that we recognize the distinctives so that we can recognize the commonalities. Even in Jesus' day, some he called, he said to them, go home. Would we say that Jesus call to people to go home to their families and their friends and to bear witness of his work in their lives that those people weren't called? I think they were called. Now, I want to just touch on one thing as we wrap this up this morning. You know, when we usually think about uh, following Jesus, we usually think about the duties, the responsibilities, or the obligations. That's just kind of the mindset when we have, that we have when we think about being a disciple, when we think about discipleship or following Jesus. It's all about the responsibilities, the job that we have to do. But do we think and can we think about the immense privilege that we have that Jesus would call us, that he would call your name, that he would choose you, choose you to follow him. To be identified with him. To represent him in this world. It's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful sound when you hear Jesus calling your name. Is he calling you? Have you responded to that call? It's a call to him. It's a call into relationship with him. It's a call to be restored and healed and mended and made whole by him. And it's a call to reach out on mission with and for him. And it's a beautiful, beautiful call. What's it going to take? The New Testament uses the word faith a lot. The Old Testament used the word trust a lot. I love the word trust because it brings out more of the personal element. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to respond to Jesus, it's going to have to be by faith. We're going to have to trust him, because we can't do it. You cannot follow Jesus unless he enables you to do so. I cannot live for him unless he enables me. He will make you a fisher of men. So here's the thing. Whether... whether Whether you've never accepted his invitation to come before or whether you've been on this road a long, long time, it's about the work that 
Jesus Christ alone can do in your heart and your soul and your life when you respond to that beautiful call. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so incredibly thankful for your call of mercy and grace upon our lives, that you call us by name, that you want us, that you seek us out, that you search us out, that you lay down your life for us, and that you call us into your family. You call us into your into relationship with you, into those waiting arms of yours. And that we find in you everything we need for the forgiveness of our sins. When we turn from our sin and repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in you as Savior and Lord, you restore our, restore our souls. We thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that you put us on mission that you give us the amazing privilege of introducing you to others, the amazing privilege of identifying with you and representing you in this world as we go. Lord God, I just pray right now for those, for if there's anyone watching this video right now that have not accepted the invitation of your call to them, I pray that even right this very moment, you would give them the faith they need to respond to your gracious, merciful call upon their lives. That they would see themselves as the sinner that they are, that we all are. And that they would come to you to be made whole and to be sent out on mission for you. Help us, Lord, to be on mission for you. Help us to, to represent you well in these days. Lord, we commit ourselves to that here today. And we th thank you for the amazing privilege of being your called and your chosen. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're my refuge in the storm.